before we start this episode, I want to ask you this. What is one thing new that you've learned this week? For me, it's celebrating the now, being grateful, and just loving. In life, it's important to keep on learning, to keep on moving, to keep on growing, to keep on sharing, to keep on searching, and to be the best in all that you do. And that's what Front Row is all about, helping you grow with some of the most phenomenal products. Front Row is in the business of changing lives. Contact an authorized Front Row distributor now. This podcast is also brought to you by Hygienics. With COVID-19 still being a threat to our everyday life, it is up to us to keep ourselves healthy and clean. Hygienics offers a wide array of products to help keep you germ-free throughout the day. Hashtag fight world germination with Hygienics. This podcast is also brought to you by AMA Online Education. OED allows you to enroll anytime. Start anytime, study anytime, flexi enrollment, flexi courses, flexi time. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Hi, I'm Boy Abunda. Welcome to my podcast. Who are you? No one is watching. guest, Karen Davila. Hi, Karen. Hello, Tito Boy. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I want to congratulate you on your podcast. Thank you, Karen. When we were beginning uh, this podcast, I heard that Michelle Obama was doing something uh, like this. I said, if Michelle is doing one, I must do the podcast. That's not a joke. Very you. It's actually very you to think that way. (laughs) And the first thing I did was to listen to the podcast of Michelle Obama, and I was uh, enamored. I fell in love with the concept, and I, I fell in love with the idea, and I love doing this because this is uh, the future of broadcast. Absolutely. Aren't you yeah. interested to do a podcast? Actually, I've been asked to do a podcast twice, mm. and um, I know I can do it, and I want to do it because I think people want to be inspired. And I believe people want words of wisdom. And when they're doing things, they want to be able to just absorb lessons while the audio is playing. That's how many people actually do devotionals today. So the phone is playing, whether it's abide, pray, and they're in the bathroom or they're in the kitchen. And you're multitasking. So that's one. The other thing is I didn't know how to do it. But now, this is the third podcast, actually, that I've been invited to be on. So I, I want to try it maybe, maybe next year. Yeah, let's talk about it. But right now, Karen, I'd like to talk to you about relevance. How do you measure your relevance in two, uh, in two things, as a person and as a broadcaster? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you asked that first question because I think for any professional, more than worth, uh, no, more than wealth, uh, fame, I think in any profession, I think people want to be relevant. The need to be relevant means that you want to matter. 
And when you want to matter, it means that you want to have impact in the field you're in. So as a broadcaster, I felt that it was important to be relevant because if not, then you don't know what difference you're making to either your listeners or your viewers. So how do I measure relevance today considering that ABS-CBN doesn't have a franchise? I do a, a morning show, Tito Boy, called Head Start. It airs every day from 8 to 9 in the morning, Monday to Friday, and I interview newsmakers. So one uh, metric that I have for myself is, do we make the news? Do I make news? Does the show actually, is it carried by newspapers, by blogs, by, is it quoted, for example, by radio stations? Does it actually, um, does it actually dictate the story for the day? Does it actually have leaders respond to that particular guest for the day? Does it answer questions? So for me, I take relevance on a daily basis because that's easier to measure. And what's important is I get closer to the truth of an issue every time I interview a guest. Okay, you said a lot. Let, let's go to the first one. Um, relevance as a person is measurable, especially when we go into specifics. Uh, you're relevant as a mother because you do good. You spend time with the children. You uh, spend time with DJ. You, you, you play, uh, you, you, the role, uh, the roles are very clear in the context of relevance. But when you start to talk about broadcast, and uh, especially when you mentioned about your metric, does that, do we make news? Um, uh, do, uh, are we being talked about? That's, uh, th that needs a discussion, Karen, because the, the, is it tantamount to making sure that you have the sound bites? Is it tantamount to asking the hard questions? Is it tantamount to uh, being contrarian, being adversarial, even being hostile to your guests? Because only then can you get them talking or answering the hard questions? Uh, there are many ways to get the truth from an interviewee. The goal of an interviewer, at least this has been my personal goal in the last uh, more than 10 years. I think I've been doing Head Start for 13 years. And uh, all through the years, of course, my style has evolved. And even my purpose and my goals have changed through the years. Because you actually, you also, you also learn while you're doing the job. So in wanting the truth, you're bound to hear something new. And that's news. So when we say we make news, it doesn't mean you manipulate or you harass someone or you spin a story. But it means that you are getting more information that's what, than what's out there. And you are answering more questions that are in people's minds. And I actually don't want to date this podcast, but I know uh, we are entering the new year as you air this. But the vaccine controversy during the time that, well, we are doing this interview, Tito Boy, what's the big question? Was the Philippines actually delayed? 
in uh, answering the confidentiality disclosure agreement from Pfizer, for example. Yeah, but you can be more specific. I mean, yes. uh, was, so that, it, uh, was it the fault of DOH Secretary Duque? Yes. I mean, yes. yeah. And, and sometimes it, it sounds so simple to say it is. Because when you go over Twitter, it's easy to name someone and then put and blame the complete problem on one person. And you feel that gives you all the answers. So what I tried to do in getting Secretary Duque was being open to what he had to say and not making judgments right away just because, let's say, Senator Lacson had blamed him or you already heard Secretary Teddy Loxin's version. But what was Secretary Duque's story? And he read the timeline of when the confidentiality disclosure agreement came and that particular timeline for me, after hearing the whole story, although he is accountable, being the health secretary, for me shows a bigger problem in government, which is frankly the bureaucratic issues in government. The lack of urgency, for example, which was brought up. It went through, as they said, the process, but in a situation like this, was the process too long? Pfizer really wanted the office of the president to sign it. But Executive Secretary Medialdea essentially didn't want to sign it. And then he instructed Secretary Duque, an agency, he had to sign it two months after. Which then makes you ask the question, what leads government officials to behaving this way? And the answers are clear. You could have fears of Dengvaksha, being sued. Because we are, the, the way the government is set up is you're just waiting to sue someone or to blame someone, or if something goes wrong, you'll be blamed, which then paralyzes government to act. Instead of you acting urgently, the first thing you're thinking of is the fear of. So that's what led to that. When Secretary Duque then was ordered by ES Medialdea two months after you are signing in behalf of the Philippine government, it took Secretary Duque three weeks after to sign it. And when I asked him why, he wanted to make sure that the contract would not put him in a position where he could be charged or sued in the future. Okay, Karen, since we are in the discussion of DOH Secretary Duque, there are two points that come to mind. One, this is when government officials should realize the importance of transparency in communications. Because if he brought us that experience, okay, this is where we are in terms of the vaccine. I know you're not supposed to tell everything uh, to the public, but the, the public deserves to know a yeah. part of that story. We didn't know anything about it. That's the first point. And because we didn't know and we got to hear, you know, uh, the, the, the critique of Central Laxon, uh, uh, DFA Secretary uh, Teddy Loxin, Senator Grace Poe, and other senators criticizing uh, DOH Secretary Duque. May pinanggagalingan yun, Karen. It's, it's coming yeah. from a certain point because, yeah. because he, he was in hot water uh, because Absolutely. of the handling of the COVID. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree right? with you. So I agree with you, that's but the context of uh, a lot of, uh, not, not, not the context, this is where people are coming from when they now react to the news about uh, Duque. Yes, I agree with you. Tito boy, I agree with you, but my job isn't about people's reactions. Yes, yes. My job is actually to get to the truth. 
Now, the truth will always end up with one side. It will never be neutral. The common mistake people believe is, as a journalist, you should be neutral. Yes, you should be, but Christian Amanpour said it best. I don't aim to be neutral. I aim to be truthful. So first, when the facts are all out, it's the only time you can make, um, I don't want to say a, a, um, a, an opinion about something, but it gives you more context. There's another saying as a journalist that um, I believe would be good training, not just professionally, but for all of us in real life, is just because you believe it to be true doesn't mean it is true. And that it. makes you stop a little. So it, it, it allows you to pull back and hold your opinion first before actually making judgments, which actually can lead to bad interviews. So, but I've learned that through the years. Um, people, people open up and say sometimes what they don't want to say because their guard is down and you have to allow them, you have to give them that space to be able to give their own version of the story, right? So at the end, if you were to ask me, is he responsible for that? I mean, I wouldn't want to answer given that Clearly, I interview them every single day. And I, but one thing is clear is holistically, they are all accountable because the confidentiality disclosure agreement was with, with the executive. And that's the office of the president. It was there first. Pfizer wanted the office of the president to sign it. Now, does this mean that Duque could have done, be done better? Absolutely. Yeah, he could have done better. No, I, I totally, I totally yes. get a story, Karen. I totally get a story that it is not your responsibility as a broadcaster, as a journalist, to basically say, "Okay, guys, this is the truth." Your job is to ask the questions. Your job is to do the interviews, so that as an audience, when I watch, when I listen to to the show, I'm able to form enlightened, intelligent opinions yes. for myself as a However, viewer. But there are times too especially um, in this age of disinformation, wherein journalists are already called to step out and advocate for the truth. And that is when it is staring at you in the face and people need to be told, look, there is no alternative truth. This is the truth. And I'd like to give you an example of that, um, which was something I experienced. When President Duterte was in Holo, he had a speech about breaking down the oligarchy without having to declare martial law. And Secretary Harry Roque said that he was pertaining to the Ayalas and the Zobels in their businesses. However, the next day, the inquirer got a full copy of the speech, and it turned out President Duterte's speech was cut and edited. The first part of the speech actually named the Lopez's and ABS-CBN saying he didn't have to declare martial law to break down the oligarchy. So that's the truth right there. So when Secretary Harry Roque was on the show and he kept insisting that the president during that speech meant this, that's the difference when it's staring at you in the face you have to call a person out and say no. 
That's not what he meant. Secretary, you could have been wrong. The transcript is out. The speech is out. Netizens are calling you the king of spin. The truth is out there. And it also went this way in the U.S. elections recently. This one is a bit controversial. It's, there's been a debate about it in newsrooms. When President Trump was doing a live speech and he said he was winning and he said states were cheating, what the main networks did, which is quite controversial even for professors today, is they cut out the speech and Brian Williams eventually just went on air and said, we're in this very unusual situation of having to cut the president and calling him out and saying that it is not true, it is not true. I've had different schools of thoughts with that one. Some have said, ideally, you should let him finish and do the correction after. But then you now have where the truth is already on the line that democracy is affected, that's when you wonder how far can I go or should I go? Okay, I'll, I'll go to that, Karen, because we've come to an extremely layered uh, conversation. I, I will go back to Harry Rock. I'll go back to Trump uh, in the U.S. with his various declarations. But I just wanted to go, when we started to talk about relevance and when you said that you just want to matter. I mean, relevance is about the desire of someone to matter. As a person and as a journalist, what do you do when people around you, both family and even competitors and just colleagues, do not allow you to be relevant? Being relevant, I feel, is uh, a choice of a person. And I'd like to share from... And it is not approved by anyone. That's what you're trying to say. I want to share it from a spiritual point of view that might inspire your listeners this morning. I wanted my life to be relevant. And it doesn't mean me, egoistic me, but my life. And that's because from a spiritual point of view, I know life is temporary. Number two, I know that God's gifts, I am accountable and responsible for these gifts. Number three, I don't want to be a waste of space in the world. Number four, as a parent, I know that um, kids role model and what they see, not what you tell them, actually matters more to them. But more than that, from a spiritual point of view for your listeners is, I think we are accountable, frankly speaking, to the Lord God above. We're in one day we will be called to account, what did you do with your life? So even if I weren't a broadcaster, if I were a baker or a designer or a banker, I believe that I would still have the same attitude, the same passion and commitment. And mattering then the measure would be different, but I would still, wouldn't just want to go to work every day, take my paycheck, just let's say, enrich myself if I were in a corporation and I were working on a desk, behind the desk. In the end, I still want to matter to people's lives. So the measure would be different, but I would still, the mattering would be to people's lives. So as a broadcaster, I feel if the truth comes out on 
issues every day, whether they're small issues or big issues, then you matter because people want to be informed. They want to be educated. And the truth helps them make better decisions, whether, for example, it's something personal like, will I invest in the Philippines? Should I buy a house? The truth helps in making all those decisions, even about a politician. When the truth comes out, should I vote for him? Should I not vote for him? And then you are helping in the end, not just that person, the community, but in the end, hopefully, the country. Okay. Mattering is a lot easier. Uh, This is what I'm hearing. Uh, And this is also something very personal. Mattering matters. Uh, Mattering is easier uh, when we talk about it in the context of family. Uh, I, as a brother, I, as a partner, I, as a parent, because I know my audience. I mean, for lack of a better word. But it becomes different when we talk about our jobs uh, in the public realm. I, I first want to go because some people, some people will not always agree to the style, to the purpose, to your learning process, as you said earlier. And to people who are, uh, who are opposed to what, for example, uh, to, to how you do things, would probably say uh, you, you, less, you, you matter less to me. But let me go to something else. Style, purpose, I still want to learn. Karen, when you were beginning, what was that style and what was that purpose and where are you now? When I started Head Start, I was very scared and I actually didn't want to do the show uh, because I came years back from a a traumatic live interview uh, with then, uh, um, uh, no, with Susan Rosses just after a former presidential candidate, uh, Fernando Po Jr. passed away. So it was a live interview and she was very mad and upset and angry and safe to say she lost it on air. And I was very young and my responses were coming from a personal point of view. It was very new also for someone to be... Did you also lose it, Karen? While that was happening, I didn't lose it, but I'm a, I'm very calm on air. Okay. Except that I feel looking back, there were many other ways to respond to that interview. So number one is experience is a great teacher. Mm-hmm. A, a very young journalist can't say, "I can do," for example, what Larry King does or what Barbara Walters does. Because there's so much that goes with experience, and experience is built through time. Number two is the humility to also accept that you need to learn. There are also broadcasters and, you know, professionals who feel, I've been doing this for a long time. There's nothing I need to know, or I know better than you. And I've always really made it a point to have an open heart and a a mind that would take in what I call meaningful and meaningful and um, well-meant criticism. So it's important to do that. And that's when you learn. Number three is 
to, the, to do the work that actually comes with it. I believe, though, that we all have different styles. I cannot be Boy Abunda's way of doing interviews or, for example, even Christian Esguera or Howie Severino or Acheche Lazaro, per se, or Diane Sawyer. But I do believe that we can take the good from each other and bring that to our own work. So that's what I've tried to do, is um, I make it an effort to watch, to learn, and to see why, why does it work with, with this professional. And I look on areas of weakness in myself, and I try to improve that consciously in terms of method and strategy. This podcast is brought to you by Frontro. Front Row is in the business of changing lives. Contact an authorized Front Row distributor now. Okay, you started by saying that when you started Head Start 13 years ago, you were very afraid because you were right. coming from that experience. So what, what, what did you become because of that experience? When you do Head Start, are you more cautious? Are you more afraid? Where, what, what, what are you? So when I started, I was very scared. And then Maria Ressa told me something that I'll never forget. She said, Karen, there's only one way for you to get over that experience is for you to do it every day and so much of it that you'll be so good at it that it's forgotten. And that's true. Now, has it been smooth sailing all the way in the start? Of course not. There's some people that don't like my style. Some people that feel malakas ang dating ko. Some that would say, I should have challenged more. I should challenge less. And I take all of that with a grain of salt, but with an openness that I should be able to do it to improve my profession. So if you ask me today, where am I? I feel that I've, um, I'm 50. I'm 27 years in the industry. But the way I take it is I don't see myself as, oh, I've learned everything. I'm seeing myself as I can move on to a whole other level of excellence that I need to do better. So that's where I am, Tito Boy. Mm-hmm. So for example, it's little nuances now when I ask questions that I feel I could have avoided this habit, asked this in a better way, the thought process could have been better, And it's quite difficult when it's a live show because, and I want your listeners to know this on on your podcast, is sometimes you do have professionals that retape questions. And Mm -hmm. I want them to know that I've never done that. I don't retape questions. If it comes out bad, it's on YouTube, it is there. And I, I stand with that. And most of the interviews that are seen online Famous journalists, famous broadcasters retake questions, especially when the interviews are taped, mm-hmm. because there's that luxury to do that. Okay, I, I just wanted to know if uh, Maria was right. So you just uh, did, Maria was right. Yes, you you did the show to the best you can every day of your life until you know you became the best of who you are and still open to learning. But yeah. you know, culturally, Karen, this is part of who we are as Filipinos. Have you settled uh, whatever it was that happened on air with Miss Susan Rosses? Absolutely. No, I mean on air or personally with her because I've seen Susan Rosses so many times and, and, 
And the daughter is a very good friend of yes. ours. So, yeah. Yes. Central so Grace Poe. It was, it was for her, her own personal issues with ABS-CBN then. And I think that's a closed book. But more than that, I think, is have I changed? And what, what's changed in me after that experience is, frankly, everything. Uh, now I've learned not to take responses of interviewees personally. Okay. You know, when they're angry, when they're screaming, it's not about me, it's about them. And you don't know that when you're young, right? You're thinking, you're thinking you need to release a reaction to that emotion that they're bringing out. But the truth is you don't, frankly. Yeah. Karen, take, take him back to, uh, because we're learning. I'm personally learning a lot from uh, this particular conversation especially at this point in your life. When that happened, did you panic? Were you angry? Uh, did you go home? Did you cry? Did you go to church? Did you pray? What not, not did you all. do? Well, not at all, because I honestly, at that moment in time, did not know. I did not know, because it was a first. It was historic yeah. on Philippine TV. Nobody had ever done that. So it was, it was a gray area for everyone. For everyone, even professors, it was like, how do you teach journalists? What do you teach them to do? Yeah. But I, I guess what happened after that is it was a very, it, it you know, I, I was still new in ABS-CBN too. So this is all water under the bridge now. But a lot of my colleagues then, co-anchors, asked for my resignation or they wanted me fired. And uh, what I did then, out of the advice, actually, of my husband, is to be honorable about the whole thing and write a resignation letter then to our chairman, Gabby Lopez, and our presidency to Alejandro. In other words, own up to, yeah. you know, be responsible. If it didn't work out, how that interview worked out the way they wanted to, then just you need to be ready to go. And, and the press was different back then, Tito Boy. It was very divisive. You know, it, it was very polarizing then, right? There were a lot of tabloid press that um, didn't want me on TV Patrol. And I think you know who they are. And, and they wanted my head every single day. Okay. But what changed then was I was very scared, but the fact that I was able to write a resignation letter out of the advice and guidance of my husband put me in a position that you should be ready to lose your job. So that's a very, that's a very personal position of, wanting, of taking a risk. Because what if tanggapin, right? Your resignation letter mo. You lose a job. So humiliating also publicly. But then... The difference was Gabby Lopez called me and said, Karen, you did the best of what you can at that moment in time. I remember what he said on the phone. If it were another broadcaster, who knows what they would have done? If it were this broadcaster, maybe she would have screamed back. If this were, it was this broadcaster, who knows what he could have said? He, and Gabby said for me, which is why I will always appreciate Gabby and owe him. You know, my career and where, how far I've gone is he said, no, I will not fire you. And Karen, when you did a good job 
in the Quezon coverage. You were there for two weeks in that landslide in TV Patrol. When you walked in the newsroom, did people clap for you? No. He said, so they didn't clap when you did a good job. So what difference is this? So their reaction shouldn't be a barometer to how you measure yourself. Okay. So that for me was life-changing in the sense because in a way, moving forward to, let's say, the presidential debate with Mayor Duterte then, where I was introduced to an intense amount of bashing this 2016, where Facebook already was the medium for campaigning, you know, netizens wanted me dead, raped, killed, hated. I was so hated. ABS-CBN was able to measure just the amount of negative feedback that was thrown at ABS-CBN and myself during the debate. And on a personal note, I asked myself, Lord, what did I do wrong? I was a professional. You know that I am not biased against any particular candidate. What did I do wrong to be hated in this way? And this is more on a personal note, Tito Boy, a spiritual note was, God's lesson to me is, Karen, you're in that job. I didn't put you there to be liked. That's not your job. So when that happened, it set me free. It put me on another plane of purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, wonderful insights. Let me go back to when you said uh, moments when you advocate for the truth. And then we talked about bias being uh, neutral, truth, facts. Karen, when you advocate for the, for the truth, or let me add another phrase, when you advocate for what is good, for what is good for God and for country, isn't that clear bias? The truth, um, I don't sit down on the show and advocate my own personal beliefs. So clearly that's not me because I, I actually disagree with that with several politicians who include their faith in decision-making with, for example, the reproductive health bill, divorce. So with that, Tito Boy, that's, that's not my problem. Yeah. No, not, that's not my issue. I, I get that. I fully believe in the separation of church and state. What I believe personally with my own faith, I don't believe should be pushed on everyone else's in terms of policy. So that's one. But advocating for the truth is in the interest of what journalism is all about. So it's the core of being a journalist. You get to the truth. And when you get to the truth, whatever the effect is, whether it is good or bad, is you don't sacrifice the truth for the outcome. You know, politicians have a common saying is, let's do this because it, it is for the common good. There's nothing like that in journalism. Journalism doesn't advocate for the common good. Sometimes the truth doesn't result in the common good. The truth may result in a president being impeached, um, a person being killed, um, a country going through a revolution, but that's not, that's not the job of a journalist. Is You go first and go back to why you're there. So you try each and every day just to pursue the truth because people think it's easy to get the truth out. The truth is it's not because there's so many layers to actually the truth even. Okay. 
Karen, let, let, me, let me stop you there because I'd like to go into the discussion of truth. All right. Um, when, when you have a story out there, depends on who dish out the story, who controls the narrative, who tells the story. Uh, there is a truth that governments want to tell people. There's a truth that people want to hear. There's a truth that spin misters go for. There is a truth that uh, another sector uh, wants. And the truth is layered as opposed to the facts because facts cannot be changed. Maintaining a clear mind and a clean body is essential in our day-to-day -day lives. Hygienics has the right product for the everyday you. Always on the go, Hygienics Alcohol is a non-drying solution to keep your hands constantly clean and soft. Want a deeper clean? Hygienics Germ Kill Soap not only kills germs, but it is also offered in various refreshing scents with all the worries present each day. Cleanliness should not be one of them. Hashtag Fight World Germination with Hygienics. Do you approach your interviews from the point of, of doubt or do you just simply listen? It depends, frankly, on the situation, if you ask me, because we're not robots. We're, we're human, right? right. And, and, and we respond to, of course, what is said. And I don't mean in a personal way or your own opinion, but your response, the response that you give, it, it's, it's, it merited on actually the answer of the interviewee in a way, because that's how conversations happen. I think what you're trying to ask me is how do I approach how do I approach interviewing the president's men given let's say our situation today Karen right? can I just add some points how do you approach interviewing people who are in the business you know Bono said this very very well you know movie stars and politicians are one and the same in the context of projection because they both project to a public a public that is temporary, a public that is uh, ephemeral, that is transient. So they try to project to the best they can. How do you, because I've done also interviews, how do you do interviews with people who have agendas? Hindi ka pa nagtatanong eh, may enumeration na lahat ng mga nagawa nila, o di kaya may meron ng nakahandang sagot tungkol sa tanong na gusto nilang sagutin, not even the question that you're asking. How do you handle that? I think number one is um, you have to listen so that you actually understand what they're trying to say. But number two is you need to challenge. Now, challenging interviewees for us, I think even reporters will tell you this, we, we need a whole cultural shift. Yeah. Because in the Philippines, it's almost you'd be accused of being bastos, impolite, or pag mas nakatatanda sa'yo, mataas ang position. And you see this, frankly, with with beat reporters who cover Malacanang or who cover the Senate or who cover public officials, you know? Um, so there needs to be that shift and you need to challenge. You know, you need to challenge always what your interviewee is saying. And Karen, I'm sorry. And that's one of the reasons why Head Start has become Head Start. Because oh, you are one who, are, who uh, are not afraid. You are not afraid to challenge. You're not afraid to ask the difficult questions. You're not even afraid to disagree. You're not even afraid. Uh, I, I want to go back to what DJ said. You're not afraid not to be liked by your interviewer. Uh, yeah. you, you ask the question. I mean, uh, sometimes as simply as you can, but unknowingly, unwittingly, uh, creating much buzz after. 
So I, I think we should credit you for that. You've been contrarian, not for the sake of being hostile, but because uh, most of those times were called for. But you mentioned that cultural shift. Uh, we always say we can't do hard talk in this country. I mean, yeah. we can't do hard talk because when you welcome a person to your show, they are guests. And culturally, we're supposed to treat them well. We're supposed to say hello, right? Yeah. So how difficult is that? Well, I, I want to give you the context of hard talk, and I'm happy you brought that up. We can do a hard talk in the Philippines. We actually can. But hard talk is a once-a-week show. It is not a daily show. And why does this matter to the people listening? When you're a once-a-week show and you do hard talk, you are telling yourself, okay, I am welcoming this pos the possibility that this guest will never come back to the show in a year or two years. And you can afford that. But when you are a daily show, and I think you've also seen this in the States or even CNN, it does not mean that you're not hard, but you need to strike a balance because these are the same sources that you'll also be getting information from every couple of months, every couple of weeks even. So that's, that's the delicate balance. That's the difference. So it's either a difference in style of how you ask the question or like Ked Start, for example, I do interviews that are 30 minutes or 45 minutes. So you also allow them, for example, to give what they want to say in the end that makes an interviewee feel that it was not just the agenda of the interview wasn't just to put me or pin me down in a corner. And I, I, I think interviewees don't like that. The minute they're pinned down, right? The minute they're pinned down, that's where the trauma for them begins. And it's very difficult actually to source them back, to use them again. But there are many ways to pin down a person getting the answer without them having to not want to come back. And I'll give you one example of the late Secretary Yasai, uh, the late Foreign Affairs Secretary Yasai. He was very controversial, Tito Boy, because netizens kept saying he was an American citizen or he yeah. had an American passport and he kept denying it. He kept saying, I'm a Filipino, I'm a Filipino. And it's quite clear in the Constitution that um, you have to be a Filipino citizen. You cannot hold the passport of another country to be appointed into an office. And it turned out in Ken Stark, it was just so casually said that he said, you know, I was offered an American passport, but I didn't ask for it. So he had an American passport. And then that actually, when it was heard in the Senate the next day, this is why the truth matters. He was not appointed as Foreign Affairs Secretary because of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I, I get the right? point. Okay. Karen, let me move to another topic. Uh, sometimes it is, um, it is grueling. It is difficult to get guests, to book guests on our shows. There are people who are very difficult to book. And sometimes we go out of our way to call guests. And uh, very often these are guests that need to, to tell their stories, that need to explain something to the people. And when you do that, and if you do it, don't you compromise your interviews a bit? 
Uh, I mean, okay. I, I'm coming from a, yes, an, a, a Christian you. Amanpour, you know, who yeah. says, I will never compromise. I will invite a guest. I will invite whoever, but I will ask the questions. Yeah. Culturally, because can we do it? Have, I mean, Westerners are different that way, I, I have to say, right? They are uh -huh. expecting you to ask those questions. Now, locally, to put a balance uh, for all of us, and not to put us in, in, an, in a bad light, when you are inviting someone to be on the show and they're a hard get and journalists will get this term you hard have to get. build a relationship with that source absolutely you have to get them to trust you but in getting them to trust you does not mean that you've already compromised part of being a journalist is your training that you need to build sources but there are boundaries in building sources and i'll I'll give one example just recently, but I won't name who, a female senator. I wanted to interview her on the show. It would have been just her second time on Head Start, and it's hard to get her. But the staff asked me not to ask this particular question, so I said no. That would be too much of an issue. A, co a compromise, yes. For me, the viewers, the listeners, and I said, if I am not going to ask that question, she can refuse to answer it. But then we don't have to do the interview. So there's also that. That's okay. the reality of it, too. You know, we also can't have our cake and eat it, too. That's true. Right? That, that's true. I totally, totally and, and agree. She, did, she backed out last minute, last okay. week. So there you go. Have, have, Karen, have you been accused uh, to your face that you didn't... Um, you didn't fulfill uh, your, your end of the promise or you betrayed, you know, an agreement. You were not supposed to ask, but you asked. You were not supposed to. Have, have, have you gone through that experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was just recently. It was a local politician and um, a, a local politician who had asked me not to ask something that was related to his family, which I felt was irrelevant in the whole discussion so i didn't but then during the interview i asked another question and it turned out it was that very question that he didn't want asked oh and he told me that i didn't hold keep up to my end of the bargain but it turned out i said no the truth is you were dishonest you did not tell me the truth that that's the situation which then led me just to ask questions and it turned out it's the very question you hated so it's happened maybe uh, in, with that particular question once. Um, I've never been, because when I say it's off the record, it is off the record. That, as a journalist, you need to keep your promise with that. So let's say a person will want to be interviewed, but is asking not to first touch this issue, because let's say this issue is waiting first it's waiting for the uh, for a better time for, no? for a resolution for yes. example yes or something like that and, and i feel it is it's not a make or break in that particular interview. i agree and yeah these are things that you also i agree because it, it it's not it's not real to expect that everything is just hard black and white but integrity should be black and white uh Wanting the truth should be black and white, at least for a journalist. Huh? Then at least it, it simplifies your work for you. You don't lose focus. Right. 
and interviewing is nuanced. But I just wanted yes. to, I just wanted to disagree with you a bit. I don't think we can do hard talk in this country. You know why? Uh, we've both been in the business of interviewing for many, many years now, over almost 30 years, if not 30 years. Alam mo, Karen, dito sa atin, dapat magalang ka. Kinakat mo nga lang ang guest in the middle of a line, bastos ka na. And when you do a hard talk, your, uh, your principal intent is really contrarian, is to disagree. Because yeah. in disagreement, you are hoping to discover the truth. Yeah. So, and you have a hard talk, for example, a format of a show where you allow guests and hosts to talk at the same time, you know, to scream at each other, and then to shake hands at the end. Although so, hard talk, he doesn't scream. No, no, he doesn't. But yeah. of course, uh, you, you raise your voice a little bit. Uh, who was original, but n- not Tim Sebastian. Uh, Stephen is different. But the original host of Hard Talk, Karen, was an entirely different game. You know, when you say your yeah. piece and he disagrees, he cuts you, you talk at the same time. And certainly, it's not a Pinoy game. Um, y- yun lang. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should be doing it. But you learn a lot from these styles because if it can happen in other countries, sabi ko nga, you're one of the very few hosts who can give me a sense of hard talk because conversations about politics, governance, policies should be hard talk. I mean, in essence, essentially, they are very difficult talks. This podcast is also brought to you by AMA Online Education. Study at your own pace, place, and time. Perfect for those who are working but want to go back to school. Nicest thing is whatever subjects you have taken previously can be evaluated and credited. You know, I have to say that while 2020 was a very difficult and it was a very bad year for the world, I've come to this point in my life, and I really mean this, that I am ending the year just really also grateful for the things that have um, come my way. And and I want to say that it's more meaningful for me now. And I'll give you one example that you know is I haven't slept really well in the last 10 years after doing the late night newscast and waking up really early. And I know it might sound trivial to some listeners, but the truth is I was able just to enjoy the beauty of sleep. You know, sleeping at 7 or 8 in the evening, you know, it's a gift. That's one. Number two, the discovery of uh, slow does not mean unproductive mm-hmm. or fast does not mean successful or fast does not mean um, uh, even happiness or stress is something we can't live without or the need for more material things make us happy. Mm-hmm. It's so strange that considering this is not, I mean, this is an open secret that those who have stayed in ABS, the talents that have stayed, have gotten a major pay cut. And what shocked me was the very core of my heart never felt in lack. So there was that shift. And I, I do hope that your listeners Take this because 2020 wants to teach us something, but we might be too busy, too com- we might be complaining, our mind might be closed, that we already can't see the joy and the beauty that it has brought us. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm in really that state of grace is how I describe myself today. I do my job because I love it. I love what I do. I feel very privileged, especially in a developing nation like the Philippines, to be a journalist. In Western countries, you know, where all institutions work, a journalist may not be as important, but in a developing nation, we are called to do more than what we should be doing simply because we're relied upon and we could be that last bastion for truth, especially where, you know, fake news all over social media has taken over, right? And there's such mm -hmm. a trust with mainstream media. But I'm there, Tito Bo, I'm in that state of grace. That's how I describe myself. How are you as a mother? You know, as a mother, I, I want to say this, that I am very loving. And I don't mean that uh, para magyabang or para ibuhat ang bangkuko. I am very loving in the sense that I am fully present and there. I don't cook. You know, um, I don't change diapers. I didn't do that. I was always a, a working mother. But I am always hands-on when and where it matters. And what is that, for example? Uh, disciplining a child, developing good habits, building relationships, listening to them, molding them. And with David's case specifically, with his being diagnosed in the autism spectrum, being 200% committed to making sure that his biomedical treatment, his therapy, his way of life in the household is completely changed. So that's where I am. And I, I feel my children know it. My husband knows it. Uh, as a mother, I'm the type that they can talk to me about anything. Um, they can hang out with me, but they do fear that when they don't want to disappoint me. And I think that's quite telling when teachers say that Lucas is scared to disappoint me. I explain to him, I won't love you any less. But then... I would be very disappointed if I feel you're not doing your best and you can do your best. So I'm in that space as a mother. How are you as a wife? It's a very good question. Um, I think I've changed in the sense that, you know, when you are much younger, you're newly married, your focus was more on each other, discovering each other, prioritizing each other. But having a child with autism, and I think BJ knows this himself, we both had to step up as parents, the expectations upon us, not by other people, but just by the responsibility given to us by the Lord has been so serious that I think as a wife today, if I were to describe myself to BJ, I would say that I'm a builder and a supporter. Um, I am affectionate intentionally. In other words, love I feel. I've been married now for uh, 19 years, but 20 years now, almost married, but with DJ all in all, 27 years. So I, I do know that love is an intentional decision every day of making each other important. You know, the little things like, thank you, please, honey. I believe that in the long run, it's those things that matter. 
talking to each other. You know, when we were much younger, you know, DJ isn't much of a talker, you know, my husband. And, and that won't work the later on, actually, the longer you're married. Because if you don't share, then distance between you will grow since you've been together for so long. So now there's really just more intent, so to speak. But you know, he's very quiet. But that's where his power, that's where his sexiness actually. (laughs) No, no, no. I find DJ very sexy. (laughs) <laughs> no, he's very quiet. He's very powerful. So when people ask me, because people know I'm very close, we're very close, and people would say, "No, I mean it's it's a it's a balance." Uh, DJ is very yeah. bright, yeah, very bright, but he's very powerful in his in his own space. You know, yeah. the one thing I think that I value most about my husband that I'm extremely grateful for is I can honestly say that. This is a man who loves me completely for who I am. That's right. You know, weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses. He, I just feel that I'm accepted, I'm loved, and I don't have to put on extras. And I Um, think for any relationship, I think that's what we all want. I mean, of course, the other things you can work on, for example, you want more conversation, connection, sharing things together. All of those can be worked on. But the feeling of feeling that he's home. He lifts you up while being secure in his own yes. space. How is the sex today? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, Mary you just, just can't. You just can't not have an interview with yes. the boy. And, and no, no, no. You know, you, about sex. You know why, Karen? Because, you know, relationships evolve. And people are not comfortable talking about sex when in fact, you know, uh, sex is not doing it every day. I mean, to my mind, I mean, uh, it's, it's not, not I think. you evolve, yes. you evolve into something, into a relationship, but we need to talk about politics, money, sex, you know, yeah. there's a reason why I ask questions. Well, it's very important. I mean, no, I, I would say without giving you know, I would say Don't that, go into details. I mean, you know. Yeah. I'm saying even spiritually speaking, uh, priests and pastors will tell you, I mean, whichever counselor one couple goes to will tell you that it is important because it allows you to stay physically connected with Correct. each other. And when a man and a woman are making love or having sex, it's just more than a physical connection with them. Sex is actually a spiritual connection that binds two people together. So it is important in a marriage because if not, then, you know, in time, you just end up being your roles as parents. Karen, it's part of the whole. Yes, yes. Okay, 2021, what comes to mind? Wow, 2021 for me, I want to be, I want to be the Karen Davila that is more purposeful and intentional. And the reason I say intentional, Tito Boy, I think in the last few years, I've let my schedule be my boss. In other words, oh, it's the day running me, you know? Head start, DZMM radio, Bandila. Then Bandila became 10, 30, and 11. And then I got sick. And as a parent, I would go to my son's school. I run everything in the household. I do that. I I multitask. And 
what I want is to live more intentional in every way at home, with my children, at work, to also make better decisions when I accept projects or things or not accept them, to also, honestly speaking, Tito Boy is, um, you've, you know me quite well, and this is where many, many professionals can relate to me, is I started off, of course, not feeling good enough, or I had to prove myself enough, or I couldn't ask for what I want, and sometimes today I still feel that way, or I don't deserve something, and I want to get out of that old suit, you know, and be able to embrace all of me and say, this does not work anymore. It, 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 and, and I mean that in every aspect, right? So that's two. And the third is, spiritually speaking, I, I want to be, you know, people who know me and listen to your show will know that I'm a Christian. And my, my spiritual life has really grown during um, the pandemic, which I consider my biggest blessing. So when ABS shut down, my relationship with the Lord was so grounded that I just, I mean, of course I was in pain, but I never lost faith or focus on, on the goodness of God. And what I want to do in 2021 is have a deeper spiritual life, be de deeply rooted, that I'm more obedient. I want to be able, Tito Boy, to invest in heaven. And when I say that, because not many people don't talk about that, we invest on this well, earth. What does it mean? What does it mean? Right? Invest and, now, in heaven. We invest in our careers. We invest in property. We invest in wealth. We invest in protection, which are all wise things to do. But COVID has actually taught us that we need to invest in heaven. That, you know, you come face to face with your mortality. Tito boy, you were near death at one point, right? And when you're near death or something like COVID-19, that has taken people away so quickly. You now understand that, look, ma many of us have lived like we were going to live forever, mm -hmm. right? You have people drinking a lot, eating unhealthy, not even thinking of the life after this. So when I say invest in heaven is, well, at least this is with my faith, because I do know you have listeners of different faiths. Is, which is fine, which is really which is fine. fine. Yes, it's okay. that you invest in the life after. And what does that mean? So with me, it's an investment with a, with a relationship with my Lord Jesus Christ. That's for me. And I feel you can only do that if you know him, you um, be grounded on the word so you can live your life in effect, glorifying him and pleasing him. Yeah. And I, you know what I'm trying to, what I'm getting also is that that investment has to happen, has to happen here on earth. Absolutely. Because Deva? it requires time. Yes. It requires time. Just like investing in career. It is deliberate. It is reckless passion even, but deliberate when making decisions with time and priorities. So investing in Kevin is also that, right? right? Deliberate choices you have to make on what's right. important to you. That, that, that's true. Are you enjoying Kumu? 
I love it. I think it's a lot of work. <laughs> I, 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 I am. The discipline is so different. And I want to share this now. I think, Tito Boy, because you and me, we were trained professionally. Yes. So, for example, we don't do dead air. <laughs> we don't do mindless chatter. That's... And I don't mean that in a negative way. No, no, no. To no. streamers who are listening to your podcast. but You're just talking about training. Think, That's true. Just also a change in communication style. So you're also seeing streamers that just go on air and essentially are standing up, humming, doing nothing, <laughs> thinking, looking at their phone, etc. Just allowing this here to happen. And, and I don't, that's quite interesting for a professional because I don't think, Tito Boy, you, me, yeah. or even, for example, an Anderson Cooper, if he does live streaming, will behave the way streamers really do. That's all, Karen. You know, when I, when I start my Kumu show, uh, from the opening to the end, you know, we, we, we do show. You know, we, 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 we know our talking points. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that's the way it is. Again, in Sabi Munga, we're open to learning. Yes. But Karen, thank you. Thank you for, you know, we can talk for, for forever. But, um, you know, we have one hour and I have just a couple of questions. Okay. What are you wearing when no one is watching? Oh my God. When no one is watching, frankly, I mean, I wish I could say this is sexy. I mean, I'm naked when I'm in the bathroom about to take a shower. But when no one is watching, frankly speaking, I'm still in my underwear. You know, like regular people are. I can't give a sexy answer to that. Okay. But, I mean, when my kids walk in, I think that's the interesting question. Uh, so, right? so what are you wearing? No, when my kids when walk kids in, is, I'm walk not ashamed of my body. Because frankly, I grew up when, when I walked in, it would be a shock, let's say. My parents would not want me to see them naked. And I realized it's become a cultural aspect that's affected our behavior and how we feel about our own bodies. Right. So I think the interesting part to your question is when my children walk in and I'm naked, I mean... I don't cover myself in shame. I will maybe cover deliberately important parts, but they will see me and feel my mom isn't ashamed. Oh, interesting. I, I think that's a breakthrough for many parents. Yeah, yeah. Right now. that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. What are you doing when no one is watching? Oh my God, frankly, when no one is watching, all right. Um, I listen to Abide. It's a mm. spiritual app. I, I listen to it every day, day and night. Uh, I go on devotional. Uh, I listen to a lot of Spotify. I wish I read more books like you, Tito Boy. I admire you for that. But when no one is watching, frankly, I'm really resting. I'm ashamed to say that I'm on my phone doing Instagram or looking at Twitter, and I want to do less of that. No, but don't uh, be. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's mostly that. I know and, what you mean. Yeah, and talking about books, I today I just got a book from Alex Laxon. Thank oh. you very much. I just got the copy of uh, Obama's book. Oh, okay. Uh, Promised Land. Yeah, thank oh, you, Alex. And yeah, so you still like reading books, Tito Boy? No, you don't like reading them digitally. No, I like the actual books. Yeah, because okay. It's actually, nice to mark. 
<laughs> Karen, but, but I write I, I write notes, I debate, I talk to my books, I agree, I don't agree. Uh, this is an old concept. I've heard about this. Nagsusulat ako sa libro. Yes, yeah. That's my relationship with my I, books. You know, that's something, Tito Boy, that's very valuable that I feel you should share. Yeah. Especially young people today. You know, um, the effort to self, to actually self-study. And when I mean self-study, I don't mean a course. But that's true. to question what you're reading, to go back to it several times. Because sadly, I mean, Filipinos aren't trained that way. I'm not saying we can't do it. I'm just saying from the time we're in school, we're not trained that way. We can change the mindset. Exactly. Okay, what are you eating when no one is watching? Oh gosh, chocolates. All right. Who, who are you with when no one is watching? No, I love that. Well, it would be my husband if it's completely no one. Then I would really say it's the Lord. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. And my final question, Karen, who are you when no one is watching? I think I'm a child of God when no one is watching. That's just who I want to be. You know, that, that's really it, Tito Boy. At the end of the day, the Karen... The Karen that was 21, you know, um, clawing her way up there, driven 200% to make a name for herself or a career, is not the same Karen today. The passion is the same, but in terms of seeing really what's important in life, we often quote the little prince of, of what's essential. Yeah. It's not visible to the eye and, and it's the same. Is what's truly important it is eternal. That's true. Right? That's true. And I totally, totally agree. W- would you take the vaccine if you're offered uh if you offered the vaccine today? Absolutely. You would. I would and um I would take I, I would take the vaccine. Uh, number one. I feel at the age of 50, and I've done a lot of studies on it, given because my son was in the autism spectrum. It's quite difficult when a child is young, yeah, uh, especially a toddler, because their organs are developing when they're babies. So you do have a lot of issues of the binder of the vaccine, how is it transmitted, and those are the terms being used, what platform is used, right? But now at 50, frankly speaking, you and I have been vaccinated many times. And it's just a question of, I don't want to get too technical. Each and every country is using a different platform on their vaccine. The Russian is actually using human adenovirus, which has been done before. The irony of it all is Pfizer is using a new one, which is MNRA. So this is why some say they've had allergic reactions, but some, frankly, don't. But why would I take the vaccine? Because I feel that, number one, it's good for the world because you'd have the world back. It's very difficult also to sow that kind of fear. I have friends who say, no, let everybody else take it. I won't take it. Then I'll be immune. But that's a bit selfish too, right? Mm -hmm. So you're having everybody else take a certain amount of risk in the hope that, you know, here you are. 
But if everybody thought that way, where would we go? Yeah. And I think it's also important messaging, especially for public officials, to build that kind of uh, confidence when it trust. comes to that. Yeah. yeah. People have to trust. Maraming salamat, Karen. You know, a couple of words that I will not forget uh, from this conversation. But you know, Karen, you're truly deliberate. You're kind. You're one of the kindest. You're one of the kindest people I have known. I will remember uh, that 2021, I will not also allow schedule to be my boss. I love it. I loved it when you said you are in a state of grace. And you talked about uh, being purposeful and intentional which I think uh, should remind us on how we should conduct ourselves. And we need to listen. We need to listen. And my most important takeaway is when DJ told you, you don't need to be liked. That's liberating. Do your job. Do the best you can. Do what you're supposed to do, not because you want to be liked, but you do what you do with integrity. You said that word again. And don't lose your sense of what is right and what is wrong. Maraming salamat, Karen. Maraming maraming salamat. And thank you to all who are eavesdropping on this conversation. And if you find time, 2021, um, again, is an uncertain year. We've gotten used to uncertainty. If you find a little time, ask yourselves, who am I when no one is watching? You might just find answers. And whatever that answer is or those answers are, find it in your heart to be better. Find it in your heart to be kinder. And if you can, make your nana proud. Thank you and goodbye for now.